Hello, we are back again for part two, yes indeed, of Conversations with I Am Lacey P with the subject matter of Black Women in Tech. And so we have Jennifer Williams with us again. She has graced us with her presence yet again. We're just so grateful. Good evening. Good evening, Lacey. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. We're going to just jump right back into it here. All right. And so we got a couple follow-up questions. Um, the, For the follow-up part of this, I want to know, how can companies be more involved in the community? Yeah, so I think there's two approaches. Um, the first thing companies can do is just, one, get out there. What events are you sponsoring in the community? How are you showing up where you're not just a company in the city, but you're integrated into the community? Do people in the community know your employees, for example? When you build that relationship, you build a natural attraction of talent to your company. You also inspire those individuals in the community to wanna to work for you, which means they're gonna to wanna to be educated to work for you, which inspires the behaviors of pursuing higher education goals or pursuing certain interests. So it, that's one way to do it. It's just be present, sponsor things. The other way to do it though, is to make sure your employee base is a makeup of the communities in which you serve. Because what happens when employees leave the workplace? I know we're virtual in many cases right now, but when they log off of their computers, where do they go? Back to their communities. They are ambassadors for your company. But if you don't have people in your company that you hire from the communities that you serve, guess what's happening? Those individuals are not coming back in those communities. So that's the dual approach. You can do the big sponsorship of organizations. You can partner with the schools. You can partner with certain community organizations. But I think the real heart of it happens when you hire people in the communities that you serve to become part of your company. That way you have a more authentic connection. I absolutely love it. So you have organizations like YMCA, Boys and Girls Club, Girl Scouts and Boy Scouts, and youth groups. Yeah. How can religious organizations help not just the youth, but all of its members to uh, to godly standards where religion is not talked about or suppressed. Yeah, so, you know, I think churches do a good job of teaching kids about God, teaching kids how to develop their faith. I think the opportunity is giving more tangible, real-life examples of what that looks like once they leave the youth group. What does it mean to show up on a college campus as a Christian when all of these other influences and temptations are around you? What does it look like to show up as a Christian in a work environment where the official rule is you don't really talk about religion? You don't talk about politics, right? Those are one of the two things you just don't discuss. Right. But what I found is your behaviors matter. The conversations you have in a one-on-one -on -one situation matters. The decisions you make as a leader or even as an employee, that's what people notice. When most people are going left and you go right, when you are at a social event and you choose to decline a certain beverage while others are enjoying them, those are the moments where you start to authentically stand out in a way that attracts people to you. You don't come off as looking, you know, like an oddball or, you know, overly religious, etc. But I think we need to do a better job as, you know, churches and congregations to instill that in our youth. Put them out there in those mock scenarios. Have them join you on some of these company events so they actually see what it's like. Um, so that's the opportunity I think we see. 
I like that practicality. Yeah. But that's very good because have you ever, or what, rather, have you ever been at an event and you may have saw one of your brothers and sisters in Christ and maybe they were not as strong in the area uh, of alcohol or uh, uh, vulgar language, but they were respectful enough to say, you know, this is not my strong point, sis. You know, pray for me. You know, because without exposing your without exposing your siblings in the Lord, have you ever had to deal with that? I personally have not dealt with that exact situation. Um, as a principal, I don't judge others' decisions. I Amen. Don't, we all have challenges that we're working on. Oh, we for sure. are all growing in different areas. Even, you know, I say there are sins that everyone sees and sins that people don't see. That's why you can't judge it because you never know. Amen. Um, what I will say though, is it is helpful to have Christians in the workplace because just their presence can inspire you. Mm -hmm. Now, if you run into a situation where you see someone that goes to your church and may, may be acting, I guess, in a way that's contrary to what scripture teaches, mm -hmm. you can use that as an opportunity to encourage that person, not so much verbally, but just by your presence, right. your behavior. Right. Um, it might be a one-off conversation that you might need to have. Afterwards, hey, I saw you at this event. How are you doing? Not so much accusatory, but right? Actions speak louder than words. Relationship, right? They're um, Christians. I have a relationship. They can come to me, and I can come to them. They will call me out. I have, in fact, my closest brothers and sisters in the Lord know they can call me out, and I love them more for doing it. Amen. But you have to have that rapport. Oh, if for I sure. If I don't have that relationship with you, you're coming at me like a little sideways right so i think it starts with building authentic relationships but it also has an element of love you have to have that attitude of love for sure um you know i will say being a, a black woman in tech i'm not afraid to tell people that i worship at Eastside church of christ people know that i teach you know sunday school classes at the appropriate times when i'm on the schedule they know that about me when they when i introduce myself Every time, you know, I meet a new employee, we have a one-on-one, -on -one, tell them about myself. I grew up in Austin, educated here. I go to church here. I love planning parties and small events because I like bringing people together. They know that about me. So I'm not afraid to show up as my whole self no. whenever I'm meeting somebody new. And I want them to tell me about themselves. I've actually met Christians through those interactions. Love it. Um, and so you've got to make yourself open. Yes. Bring your whole self. I mean, those are things that I do. If you ask me how I spent my weekend, I'm going to tell you we went to church on Sunday. Amen. It's okay to say that. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Totally agree. Now, you know there's this great divide. So you have all the baby boomers. Yep. And maybe some of their parents are choosing to still work. I'm not saying they have to. It's just they, you know, some people just love working because they're passionate about it. That's right. They got a talent. Right. They have a talent, a talent and they don't believe in retiring. Yeah. And then you have the baby boomers. And then you have Gen X, mm -hmm. and then you have my generation, millennials, and then there's Gen Z. Mm -hmm. How is it working with so many different generations in one place? What has been the joy and what has been the storm? I'll be honest with you, Lacey. I think, honestly, well... I think our workplaces, I can only speak for the companies I've worked for, mm -hmm. are doing a better job of integrating that talent. I have worked for companies where the attitude and the mode is, 
we groom our future leaders. And so people are literally the youngest workers are almost like an apprentice, not quite an apprenticeship. Like you have mentors though, right? That kind of show you the ropes and they may span multiple generations. Um, I think the workplace does a better job of building that, or I guess creating that bridge than I see outside of work, to be honest with you. Um, now here's something else I'll say. There are nuances where, you know, you will hear somebody say, oh, well, you know, this generation doesn't want to work for X, Y, and Z. But I think there's also a thought of, well, I'm actually more educated than this person was coming into the workplace when they joined the workplace. How do we listen together? In my company, um, at Dell, technology moves so fast, you got to stay on top of your game. Mm -hmm. Everybody is on top of the latest technology trends. And so I really don't see as much of that being a barrier. I think we do a great job of balancing the experiences of those that have been there for 30 years and have actually literally built the foundation of the company. A lot of them are still around. And I also think we do a good job of bringing in what I call fresh talent and fresh perspective. But at the end of the day, when we're trying to solve this, you know, problem or innovate this new technology, it's all hands on deck. The boundaries are blurred. You have engineers, you know, kind of giving marketing guidance. You have marketers giving technical guidance. That's the culture that we have. Um, It's more of an individual ownership mentality. And I think if more people would just recognize talent, generations really don't matter. Unfortunately, I don't see that everywhere. I do see it more in my company and in the tech companies I've worked for. Socially, I think we have a big opportunity. What do you think it is about socially where there's there's this divide? Because uh, you have the baby boomer parents known as the greatest generation. Uh, They grew up in a time where radio uh was their their cell phone yeah yeah the black and white newspaper clip with the two um two sentences uh uh at the bottom yeah that was their twitter yeah and my god the internet jesus well it was around but it was communication wasn't rolling like that yet Mm -hmm. and so how do we get them to socially interact without it being bombs and gas and all of that socially because uh gen z the silent generation is their great grandparents yeah you know the baby boomers are their grandparents are their grandparents and then you have gen x who their parents yeah right and so me being a millennial born in 87 very proud um how how does how do you get them to communicate without so much well those young kids think they know it all yeah them old people don't let us that they don't let us get a word yeah (laughs) there's a lot of that so it's funny Lacey I think if you were to take the last I'll just say 100 years of our American history just the last 100 years of the world history there has been an acceleration of lifestyles technology that I don't know if it's ever has been as fast in previous years like in previous centuries indeed and so there's a little bit of wow it's so fast you know I mean I'll, I'll give you a great example on my father's side of the family I'm a first generation student attending school in an integrated school you know oh, when yeah. it, it wasn't that long ago but it when wasn't. you think about the history and how fast this country has changed right it's like okay wow 
there's a lot. So I think part of the challenge is you have your older generation who really don't understand the pace of, of change. Mm-hmm. You know, when I tell folks from those older generations that my two-year-old was using an iPad, it's a novel thing. But right. the reality of iPads are so simple to use. A two-year-old knows how to touch on a picture to go where they want to go. Right. So it's not so much that, oh my gosh, they're so advanced around technology. No, it's the, the practicality. Right. It's you know? practical. So I think there just has to be a base level of respect that the lifestyles one generation grew up in is very different than the lifestyle of the more recent generation. You know, I always look at um, the baby boomers and I always tell them a lot of their parents lived in rural areas. Sure did. You look at millennials, a lot of their parents were living in the city or were starting to move to the city. Correct. You look at Gen Z, what are they going to tell you? My grandparents have been in the city. My parents are in the city. That's the lifestyle. So we also have to recognize how the makeup of the lifestyles have changed. But I don't think we give ourselves enough credit for those differences. And so we use our differences to separate us instead of bring us together. Right. So that's, it, it's unfortunate. I see it. I see it in churches, honestly, um, where a lot of individuals look around and say, hey, I'm here. I hear a lot of the frustration from millennials who, honestly, a lot of them are in their early 40s and call it mid to early 30s right now. That, that's the, the range. Um, and they're looking around like, I am old enough to be a leader. Well, they're also the first generation that's probably going to church with their parents. My parents' parents, my grandparents, were in a different congregation than my mom was an adult. My grandmother lived in Round Rock. She worshipped in Round Rock. Right. My mom is here in Austin. She worships in Austin. Right. Her mom was not in the same congregation as she was when she was in her 40s and 50s. Right. Well, guess what's happening with a lot of millennials? Their parents, who are now in their 60s, maybe early 70s, right. are still in Austin. And so now you have this element of, well, I am now in my 30s and 40s. I am ready to lead. Right. And you're seeing these people that are their parents' age that are kind of looking at them like, well, I remember you when you were two. And that's the thing. That's the bridge, right? That's the bridge. And also, I'm no longer two. I'm no longer 20. I'm actually 35 plus. There you go. (laughs) Um, As a matter of fact, my son is 15. My daughter is 12. Yeah. Um, so you have to not just look at me when I was two. Yeah. I'm clearly 38 plus years older mm-hmm. or I'm clearly 33 plus years older. I have a child that's a teenager that's right. about to go to college. That's right. So I need you to not just look at me as, oh, little Lacey. Right. Oh, little Jennifer. Little Ethan. No, little Ethan is now Ethan. There you go. Yeah. Big Ethan is now Brother Ethan or Brother Elder. But unfortunately, I don't think people make that mental shift fast enough. I also think there's an element of, you know, there are certain people that have been leading things for a very long time. And when you have this new generation that actually wants to lead, they are independent minded. They honestly don't need a supervisor, but they're told they do. It repels a lot of people. And so I, totally I think agree. there has to be an element of now my congregation in Cincinnati, I thought was brilliant at this. They actually had a structure where you want to lead something, you lead it. You lead that thing for four years and then it goes on to the next person or even for two years. Mm-hmm. I remember when we were there, my husband and I led the church picnic one year. 
Why? Because they were like, y'all are young talent, y'all go do it. The older members served as advisors. They served as support. But they had that spirit of humility that said, no, I am here to uplift the future generation so the the mode of this congregation can carry forward. Right. I don't see enough churches doing that. And unfortunately, I think that's how a lot of congregations start to die. When you stifle the talent of that, I call it that middle generation, that mm-hmm. 40, 30, 50 age range. Yes. Guess what happens? They start to get very quiet. They get resentful. They'll either leave or they just won't participate. Right. So we need to have a mindset of groom the generation that comes after you. Right. And don't feel like they're a threat to your position or your talent. You're no less talented if you coach somebody else. You're no less talented if your name isn't on the bulletin as the leader for such and such program. Right. Because how prideful is that? Right. But there are some people that hold on to that. They will literally leave kicking and fighting. And I think we've got to have more of a mindset of we are building this together. All of our talent is appreciated. The church is big enough for everybody. Right. And guess what? The church is big enough for everyone's talent. Yes. Find a place for it. Don't tell people... It's not enough, you know, we don't have enough work for you. Or when people sign up for things, you don't call them back. Right. That suppresses talent. No, it should be integrated. Oh, definitely. So that's my view of it. I think there are big opportunities, but the churches that get it are growing. The ones that don't, quite frankly, they they start to fall away, unfortunately. Unfortunately. That's very heartbreaking. Yeah. What are some things that you see that could happen in your own local congregation? So I, I, I am a member of the Church of Christ at Eastside. Um, within our congregation, I'll say this. Um, I was baptized and I guess became a member of the church in the late 90s, 1998. Um, I was here um, up until my husband and I got married. We then moved to Ohio. And then we came back in 2018. So we were away for about eight years. One of the things we noticed was the physical building obviously grew. We moved from 14th and a half street to MLK 183. Um, But one of the things that we noticed was the connection of the people in the congregation was not as strong as it once was. I remember, you know, being in my 20s because maybe the auditorium was smaller. You couldn't help but see everybody. But some of the best conversations I've had that shaped my Christianity happened when I sat down and I talked to Sister Loretta. I sat down and I talked with Brother Grant after those, you know, evening services or Wednesday night Bible classes. I remember Brother Hardiman turning his headlights on me, telling me to go home because we're fellowshipping for an hour, hour and a half after church. When we came here to this new building, you know, in 2018, those things weren't happening as often. It's almost like the rich fellowship where you built those relationships and you built that communication. I remember sisters telling me their favorite books of the Bible that became my own. I remember brothers challenging me to read Hebrews as a new Christian. Some people would say that's quote unquote meat for mature Christians, but I learned so much about my faith. I learned a lot about Jesus by reading that book. Those kinds of interactions don't happen as much. And so that's one of the things I'm hungering for is how do we get back to building those authentic core relationships? And we're not just using this building as a flyby. Hey, I did my worship. Now I'm going to go home. Checking the box. A lot of it, unfortunately, will have to happen outside of the building, I think. 
Um, but I think we can do a better job of building those authentic relationships that span generations. A lot of right. those examples I gave you, remember, that were probably 30 plus years older than me. You know, I have strong relationships with those members that were my age as well. Oh, of course. I could go to those individuals that were 10 plus years to of get course. advice. You know, those things happen. And I was trying to be a mentor for those that were behind me. I right. remember some of the, we would go on some of the youth trips. I was one of the older members. I was a counselor, whatever they called me then. And the younger ones would come to me with some of those questions. But I don't think we have that same relationship as what we did. So it's just, it's different. Um, I think we're trying to get our footing. But that's the opportunity I see is let's get the heart back. Yeah. Let's get the heart. You know, where's the, I mean, we love, don't get me wrong. But where's the heart of those relationships? That's what I would love to see us do. Do you feel like social media has uh, taken away interpersonal communication skills? Not just uh, within religious organizations, but just period. Because you always see someone on their phone. And I was having a discussion with someone and they were talking about... Oh, no, no. It wasn't a discussion with someone. I was watching a video and the minister, he was talking about how... There's going to be two or three generations who are going to be walking around with crooked backs because people don't look at their they, people don't look at their cell phones how they read a book and they say the proper way is actually how you have a hold a book up or a newspaper up that's how you're actually supposed to hold your phone. You know, it's funny. Yes, social media can be misused like any other tool that's mm-hmm. out there. Here's what I'll say. Um People will put their phones down if they are more engaged in what's going on outside of the phone. I got it. Life before Wi-Fi, people. Life before go. 1995. I, mean, I have been in... I mean, I'll say it this way. If people are looking at their phones during worship, for example, there are two opportunities there. One, the person looking at their phone have an opportunity to focus on God, why they're there they should be intrinsically motivated to put down that phone. But two, you need to make sure that the worship service is structured in a way that pulls people to want to worship God. I definitely agree. And unfortunately, sometimes we get caught up in these routines. It's a two-way street. Correct. God's worship, the way he designed it Mm -hmm. in the Bible, is supposed to be about him. Yes. If the people leading worship and the, those that are preaching and those that are kind of leading the congregation and the members themselves are focused on God, it will be a phenomenal service. Correct. But if we make it about ourselves, oh, well, that song leader didn't sing my song. Or, or oh, somebody prayed too long. Yes. Then it that becomes about you. You got to get yourself out of it. Right. And that's the challenge, you know, but those are individual decisions. I definitely agree because your relationship with God is your relationship with God. Your mama can't stand at the judgment for you. That's right. Your daddy can't stand (laughs) at the judgment for you. Yeah. God is not going to be asking Sister Soldier or Sister Slim or Brother Bookshelf or Brother Red Tape. Hey, you know, can you tell me about Lacey's? No. Mm -hmm. Everybody got a record. And everybody, everybody got to stand before the judgment of God for themselves. Yeah. Well, Jennifer, this has been just such an honor and a pleasure. Thank you, Lacey, for having me. Uh, I appreciate talking with you, too. You oh, have well, some great questions. Well, thank you. Uh, I give God all the glory, honor, and praise. I just want to stay on assignment and fulfill my purpose. I enjoy the fruits of my labor and go on to glory.
Hey now. Amen. Hey, this has been Lacey. I am conversations with I am Lacey P. Thank you so much for listening. Whether it's morning, evening, night, on the road home, on the way to work, or even in the in the trains or sky. Thank you so much for taking time out to listen to this podcast. I'll be back next week. You are loved. You are blessed. Thank you.